Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We are so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and the ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website, citychurch.life, and clicking Give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. So I want to talk to you guys today uh, uh, and tell you that breakthrough fails the lonely. Breakthrough will fail the lonely. If you are a loner, if this is what you have wrapped your identity in, you are comfortable with being alone, I want to tell you something, that, that it's one thing to go for a season, right, for a small amount of time to be alone with God, but there is not an example in Scripture of somebody going and living in total solitude all the days of their lives and somehow fulfilling the commission of God the commission to go into the world and bring transformation. Jesus took 40 days where he went out into the wilderness and he prayed and he fasted. He was alone with God, right? And, and at the end of that 40 days, he began a ministry where he went out and lived life with people. Every day, day in, day out, investing and pouring into people. And if you set your life up so that the number one priority you have is guarding your personal time or your, your and your spouse's personal time. Like that's the most important thing. I want to tell you, you are going to struggle with finding radical breakthrough. I'll lay out some arguments for that here today. Uh, uh, as a kid, uh, I was uh, able to watch the Jetsons. It was actually a little bit before my time. Uh, I have to clarify that. The other day I was watching a movie and uh, Ezra was in there and Carmen said, no, Ezra's my six-year-old and Carmen said, uh, Ezra's like, what is this? And Carmen said, that came out when daddy was a kid. And Ezra said, whoa, it's not even in black and white. And I was like, you're homeschooled, buddy. I can tell. <laughs> no, uh, we were watching another movie a couple of nights later, and uh, uh, he was like, you know, things were weird. And Carmen said, I think this movie takes place in the 50s. And he said, whoa, they don't even have to ride on chariots. I, I, no, that's not how that works, right? So, so, so the Jetsons were a little bit before my time, and so I watched reruns as a child, but I have the entirety of my life loved technology. So if you spend any time around me, I love technology. Technology. I love the advancement. I love things that make life simpler. Um, you know, uh, it's funny to me. So, so if you come into my house, I have uh, Google Home set up and it controls lights and it controls the TV. This has radically changed the quality of life for Zoe, uh, our 10-year-old who's special needs and really struggles with being able to stand up and get to things, but he can talk. And if you haven't spent any time around him, then I would encourage you to do so because you will find out that he can talk a lot. And when nobody in the house will talk to him, Google will talk to him. And so we're thankful for Google. But we have Google set up in our house. And so many of you have come into our house and you see us telling the lights to come on, the doors to lock or whatever it is to happen and stuff just going. And then sometimes we have people who come in the house who start trying it themselves and they think they're funny by turning all the lights off until a kid is screaming. And then we're like, yes, that's why we don't turn off all the lights. So... I love technology. I like to be involved in it, engaged in it. I'm, I'm, I want to be careful and wise. I love the, the way that it can change life, okay? 
all right? So, so I'm a proponent for these things. When something new comes out, I'm watching online. I'm trying to see if I can afford it. What would it be like if I got it? I, I'd like to think of myself as kind of that one of, the, one of the people that's in the first wave of making a purchase. And so as a kid, I loved the Jetsons. I loved how their home was automated and, and they were able to have it do all these things for them. So, so I'm not against that. Uh, uh, we live in a day and an age where the world is moving forward rapidly, right? There is transformation taking place like nobody's business. Uh, in fact, I was watching uh, Edward Scissorhands the other night. That was one of the movies with Ezra. And uh, the lady picked up a phone and she was doing a rotary and it was... And he was like, what is that? And I was like, that's a phone. And he was like, what's that thing that she's doing to it, right? So totally disconnected, no idea what a rotary phone looks like. I remember riding in a truck a few years ago with Caitlin. And uh, it was an old, uh, uh, you know, I think maybe like a 60s uh, truck. And she, she, was, uh, she, was, she kept doing this away from the door. And she kept looking at it. And she was leaning into me. And I was like, what's going on? What are you doing? She's all leaning in. And I was like, Caitlin, are you okay? And she was like, yes. And she pointed at the door. She's like, what is that? And she was scared. And I was like, what are you talking about? And she pointed and I was like, sweetheart, I can't tell what you're pointing at. I'm driving, you're too far away. And so she's real slow, like shaking. And she gets really close and she points to the little knob you use to roll the window down. <laughs> and I said, do you use that to roll the window down? She said, no, you don't. I have never seen one of those before, <laughs> right? I, so, so our world is rapidly changing around us so, so much so that, that sometimes like we can do life with people that have no clue what it quote unquote used to be like, right? I mean, things are radically changing. Uh, in fact, I, I would make the argument that we are more connected today than ever before in the history of the world, yet we have never been more alone. Because we lean into technology and social media as a means to allow ourselves to, sh here's, who, here's what's going on, here's who I am, so that we can escape to be alone. And we tell ourselves, oh, I'm connected, I, I, I'm good, I, I've got Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever the new, you know, little platform is, I'm, I, I've got it, I'm I'm connected. And then when, when I begin to, to speak with people and really get into maybe some issues that they're walking through, I continually discover that there's no genuine community. There's nobody that they're doing life with, that they're sharing a meal with, that they're high-fiving. It's, it's who would you call in the middle of the night if you had a flat tire and, and you needed help? Uh, you get on Facebook, hey guys, I'm broke down on the side of the road on I-16. Can anybody come and help me? And then the person that shows up is scary and probably doesn't have good intentions. So you climb into the door, into the car, and you lock it, and you start dialing 911, and you're freaking out. And, and how simply that would have been rectified if you had been able to pick up the phone and, and just say, hey, bro, like my, my car's broke down. I need some help. And what if that person just said, I'm, I'm on my way? Now, I strive to be the type of person that's a responder. Um, I, I, I joke with Carmen all the time that when people are guests at the church that they come back a second time because they met her and she's just full of like, you know, she's outgoing and, you know, and, and just got that personality. And I'm like, they come back a 13th time because 
their washing machine broke down and I helped fix it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and, and I strive to be able to be in community with people this way because I think it's really important that we aren't just connected in the high five or on the social media platform, but that we fight the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the mentality of the age to be able to just be connected through technology because it creates some really dangerous things. Uh, something about being in front of somebody and the consequences of what we say tends to help us hold our tongues. But when we're online and we don't have to look somebody in the eyes and feel the environment of the room, people tend to say things that later they regret. And so this community ends up being filled with hate and apologies. Every day that I'm watching the news, I'm watching where somebody has said something terrible and then the whole world turns on them. And then that person the next day is spending their day apologizing for what they said. And it really is just a result of what happens when we don't live in community. And this has all happened in less than 50 years in America. I mean, 50 years ago, the world just looked very, very different. I want you to think about this for a, for a moment. I want you to think about the stories that maybe your grandparents told you if you had any, any, uh, any time with them. You know, my, my grandparents, uh, when their parents uh, got old and sick, uh, they, they moved their parents in with them and they took care of their parents. Uh, they did not uh, uh, seek to be completely removed from family. Just 50 years ago, it wasn't uh, an uncommon thing to see multiple generations living in one house. And it wasn't, it was, it was even less rare to find that multiple generations lived within a couple of miles of each other. And, and today, because of the advancement of technology and the ability to be in uh, communication with people, it makes it easier than easier to move further and further away from even our family. And the truth is, the truth is this, is we might convince ourselves that we've got FaceTime or Hangouts or Skype, but the further we move away from our family, the less connected we are to them. And there is something that's drastically different about the family that's living in a community together and the way that they get together to have a meal uh, maybe once a week or every other week compared to when we have separated ourselves from our family. Now, I will tell you that there are definitely uh, reasons why we would make transitions and have to move. I, I would tell you, and this is for me, and this isn't just to justify my own position, but if God calls you to do something, right, we first and foremost look to God and we are obedient to God. And so it, it, there has been moments, seasons in our lives over the course of the nine years that we've lived in Savannah where it is difficult to not be near family, to not be able to have our kids going to go see grandma and grandpa. Sometimes that would be nice. I remember some of the best times for me as a kid were being picked up from school by my grandparents on a Friday and going out to eat and then going to Walmart and being given $5 to go and pick up a toy and then taken to uh, uh, Blockbuster to rent a couple of movies. And then I would get home and she had uh, uh, bagel bites and pizza rolls and I would heat those bad boys up and watch Ninja Turtles till two in the morning and not say a word to my mom and dad when I got home, right? <laughs> because I knew what grandma and grandpa did was so special and my mom and dad would ruin it, right? <laughs> they would ruin that. 
and I loved it. And so every opportunity I had to go and be with my grandparents was really special. And, and so even as I, as I got older and I took on a family of my own, like I had a really special close relationship with my grandparents. And uh, I actually was thinking about it riding down the road yesterday, that that's really special to me. And I know that in the current situation, that is not the same uh, uh, way that my kids feel about their grandparents because they aren't connected there. And so, I don't know what that is. I'm ignoring it. You should too. Uh, in the last 50 years, we've had a shift in the way that we think and the... Something's dying up there. Well, that's not going to stop it. Some type of fan. Uh, so, uh, so in the last 50 years, uh, we have seen this shift. So, I want to argue that we were not created to be independent, rather dependent on our creator. And that becomes the first stopgap in how we measure whether or not we're doing life where we are all alone. Uh, Let's look here in Genesis chapter 3. So uh, God creates Adam, and, and I want you to think about this. So God makes Adam he forms him out of the dust of the earth. So God's been making stuff, making stuff, making stuff. He pauses and does something unique with Adam. He spoke everything else into existence, but he takes time and it says that he, he handcrafts Adam, okay? He breathes his life into him. And with everything else that he made, he says it was good. Now, I, 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 he says here that he makes Adam and something's not right, and this is my first argument about being alone because this is what the church does. Well, it's just me and God. I'm good. Like, I'm okay with being alone. It's me and God. And God literally says, that's not, that's not good enough. He literally says right there in the beginning, in the creation, in the first day of man's existence, he goes, you and I are a good thing, but that's not good enough. Instead, you don't just need an upward relationship. You're, you are created to need outward relationships. And so he makes Eve because he says it is not good for man to be alone. And so he doesn't consider communion with him as actually conquering this idea of being alone. And so the argument falls flat uh, for us when we begin to make the the, the statements that me and God are good, I've got this thing with God figured out. God says that that's not enough. So uh, the serpent comes to Eve in the garden and begins to try to tempt her. And I just want to look at these two verses. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. She, he says, what did God say? She says that if you ate of the fruit, you will die. His response is, you will not surely die. Verse five, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So God creates Adam and God says, it's not good for you to be alone. You need to be in community. You need to be doing life with others. And God there from that point begins to give instruction that, is, that ties them together. And when the serpent shows up, the scripture says, we get the impression that Adam is literally standing right there with Eve because she partakes of it, and we get the, 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 the picture that Adam is there. She gives him something to eat. He is aware of what's happening, right? And yet, instead of addressing them in community, the enemy goes right after just one of them and says to Eve, listen, let's talk about you for a moment. 
What do you think the conversation might have looked like if the serpent had had to address the impact of others? What if he had had to address the impact of their children one day? What if he had taken the time to talk about what this would look like for Adam? You see, that wasn't where he was going. He was pulling in on this idea of let's just talk about you for a moment. And, and I want to say this is a dangerous place to be in. And when you find yourself in this place where you are, it's just you, you run the risk. And I want to say this, you probably are actually building up a barrier to prevent breakthroughs in your life. You're definitely not positioning yourself for breakthrough. And I will tell you that God is capable and faithful to do all kinds of things. And God will, he will drag some of you through the wall that you have put up to get you to breakthrough. He's willing to do that. But if we want to be responsible believers, if we want to be people who are, hey, we're Christians and we're going to do this thing in a a really serious way, then we have to be mindful of the fact that when we get ourselves alone, we position ourselves to be able to have direct conversations with the enemy. So there's no mention of the impact on others when the fruit is being shared. So sin disputes the scriptures by suggesting we have all that we need within ourselves. The voice of sin says, I'm good. I'm capable of figuring out what's best for me. I'm capable of doing this on my own. I'm capable of making these decisions. That's what sin says. And scripture says something different about community. Let's look at a few verses here. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as if that, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. What, is, what does the writer here say? The writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. I can't do that when I'm by myself and not neglecting to meet together. The writer says we, we should not neglect community. We should not go, oh, I'm good, or I'm, I'm tired. Let me tell you something. If tired is your excuse three weeks in a row, there's something else going on. There's a value system that's taking place when it comes to the interaction that you are having with other believers, people that you have positioned to be friends and peers. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Again, we see this idea. Scripture doesn't go, hey, listen, just go out by yourself and take care of this and then come back, right? It says, confess your sins one to another. Be in a place where not just you're like sharing a meal, like we went to Taco Bell and we shared a taco, but we're gonna go a little bit further than the taco and I'm gonna talk to you about some of the problems in my life. There's tremendous power in this. Galatians chapter six, verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Hebrews 13, 16, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And so we could literally sit here and go scripture after scripture, writer after writer, person that has 
experience God after the next person, and constantly we come back to these little nuggets of don't be alone. Be in community and specifically find community with people who are believers. You should be doing life around people who are also believers. Now, this doesn't negate the call to be around unbelievers. It empowers that call because you will be worthless around unbelievers if you aren't fired up and charged up, ready for the task that's in front of you. Is Dylan in here? Dylan, what was it you said this week? What percentage of uh, people don't know the Great Commission in the church? 51% of people attending church, recent study came out that he read last week, don't even know the Great Commission. I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand right now because I don't wanna embarrass you, but the Great Commission is the last instruction Jesus gave to his disciples. It was go into the world teaching them all that I have taught you. Nothing inside of that teaching about you going and doing this one thing or that thing or, or going and, and, and being in this career field or that career field. He says, go into the nations and do what I have done, taught what I have taught. Now, obviously, there's no, no, no way that all of us would go do that and the world was sustained. So he wasn't stop doing what you're doing. This commission was to be stacked on top of your daily responsibilities. It wasn't about like, listen, go home, work really hard, and at retirement age, you'll have enough money to go and, and, and be able to share the gospel. No, it was about taking the time I have above and beyond what I do to survive and provide for my family, which is biblical, and then investing in the world around me. I want to make the argument that community is innate. All of creation has community hardwired inside of them. And it's interesting because I don't think that there is any group of people that has to be reminded about community more than believers. You join a gang and what do you do? You spend all your time around your brothers and sisters. You share meals, you do life together, you have each other's backs. There aren't excuses. This is what you do. The brokenness of the world around us gets community, but when we step inside of the church and we begin to talk about community because the difference in their community and our community is our community calls us to something greater and better and we struggle with that. So we push and we resist community and we have more loners in the church than the rest of the world has. Community I found this definition I thought was pretty good. It says that it's an emergent quality that is perceived by a group of people based on intent, identity, and experiences. The idea here is that it's not something that we pick and choose whether it exists or not. It exists, and it is determined by a, per, a group of people's intentions, their identity, and their experiences. Because as you find people who think like you and talk like you, you will naturally find yourself in some form of community. Community is in our image. Remember when God made Adam, right? It says, let us craft man in 
our image. So right there in the beginning, in Genesis chapters 1 and in chapters 2, we see language, right, coming from the mouth of God, talking about a community that he exists in. And then as we move into the New Testament, we're given some clarity about this Trinitarian aspect in which God exists, that is community for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So God models what he expects. And then what does God do? God takes time to do community with Adam and then with Eve. And so it's more than just lip service. It's like, yeah, community is really important. It's like, I, I, you got to be in community. No, he does community every single day as he calls you to community. And so community is built into us. It's hardwired. We're in the image of God. God exists in community. And we naturally will exist within community. Think about it. In high school, there's really no better way than to begin to lay out a list. I did this in like 10 seconds. You could do it too. You have the jocks, right? Those are the, the, the people who are into sports, right? Football, uh, baseball, uh, lacrosse, hockey. It depends on where you live. Soccer, whatever they were, right? You can tell, like I was super not a jock, all right? That was not my thing, all right? But there were jocks. And you know what? I knew who they were. And it wasn't because I knew who they were because I went and watched them play because I didn't. I went to two football games the entire, my entire high school career. And the only reason I went is because my friends decided that we had nothing else to do. So we went. And you know what we did the entire time? There was a, a, a pit between the field and the, the bleachers. And we walked back and forth with hundreds of other people who thought like I thought. And we talked and we walked back and forth and back and forth. And we talked. Did anybody else ever do that at a football game? There were people who were sitting there going, yeah, go team. I didn't even know who they were playing. So I didn't know who the jocks were because I was out there memorizing their numbers and stats. I had no problem with that, right? I have lots of people who are really close to me. They do that. They memorize the stats. They love that, right? That's okay. But I knew who they were because of the way that they carried themselves, because of the groups that they made. You didn't see the uh, football player walking down the hallway by themselves. You saw the football player walking down the hallway with the other football players. And so they had their own community. Cheerleaders were no different. I didn't know who the cheerleaders were because I went to the football game or whatever other sport they were cheering at. I don't even know if they cheer at other sports. And they were sitting there, and I was like, cheerleader. You know what I'm saying? I, I went to a uh, professional football game. Uh, professional, is that what you call it? Yeah, the pro, uh, pro football game uh, years ago. Uh, I went down to Jacksonville and watched the Jaguars play with some friends. And that was a lot of fun. I had a good time. I've shared this story before. And at the time, they didn't sell alcohol in the stadium. And so uh, uh, they had a problem with people smuggling alcohol in. And so uh, typically, I think that the, the logic would be that if you sold alcohol, you're going to sell beer. If you're going to smuggle something in, it's going to be harder than beer because it's got to be a smaller quantity. So the guy in front of me has a little flask. And he's sitting here. He's cheering. He's cheering. Woo! And, and then we start getting close to the halftime, and, and he's like flashing his hands like this. And, he's, and I'm like, okay, I am lost. Like, I have no idea. Is this like, like, is this like 
football like sign language? Like, or is this like I'm cheering? I'm confused. So we hit halftime. I lean forward and I asked the guy. I I I, I said, Hey, uh, I'm learning right now. I'm in a learning mode, and um, I was confused. What What were you doing with your hand? And he was like, <laughs> and I was like, Okay, I still don't know. <laughs> And he pointed down, he said, you see that cheerleader right there? And I was like, there's a lot of them. I don't know where your fingers point. It was drawn, you know, it was like this. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I'm giving her my phone number. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was having a good time at this point. <laughs> so he turned around and uh, he's looking out. We're at halftime show and, you know, it's uh, whatever they're doing. And uh, I'm sitting here and talking with my friends. He turns back around and he's like, hey, that cheerleader beside her, you want me to give her your phone number? <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm good. I'm married. Showed him the ring on my finger. It's like my wife probably wouldn't appreciate a cheerleader uh, calling the house. Uh, so I'll pass. And he turns back around. And a few minutes later, he's like sobbing, like heaving, crying. And I'm like, what is going on? Now, if you, if you, it's okay. Like if you come to counseling and you need to cry, that's all right. It's not my favorite thing. Okay. Uh, but I'm, I'm okay. Like I can handle that. I know how to comfort and console, you know what I'm saying? But if you are a total stranger and you just walk up to me crying, I straight up, Carmen will tell you, like, I just lock up. Like I was standing in line I was standing in line at Foxy over the summer. Uh, blue door was closed. I wanted a coffee, and the person in front of me just started crying. And I was like, <laughs> it's like, okay. And then the people that are in the line start trying to console this person. I don't know who they are. I'm frozen. It's like a great ministry opportunity that I just completely lose, you know, my mind in. So I'm frozen, and he turns around. And he's looking at me. I'm like, dude, like, what's wrong? And he's like, I'm married too. <laughs> it's like conviction came on this guy, right? So, 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 so the, the reality is, is like that the, the jocks, the cheerleaders, they have their followers, their groupies, the people that come around them. You've got the nerds. I felt, I fell into this category right here. Like we were, we were playing video games after, after school, right? You know, uh, most of the friends of mine who were nerds went on to own businesses that the jocks and cheerleaders work at. You know what I'm saying? So, so, so that was kind of the group of people that I was around. You had the band, right? And this created some overlap. You know, you had some people who were nerds that were in the band. You just had people that were just banned. Like this was their identity, their instrument. Uh, artists, you know, they created their own group. I was in art class and I drew, so I kind of overlapped into, into this group. And then you had those people that were the, re the rebels, right? They were the ones that were anti-conformity. It's like, I will not be like anybody else. You know what I'm saying? I refuse to conform. But can I ask you a question, right? If you really just want to be honest, did you ever see somebody dressed in total black with black fingernails and black eyeliner walking down the hallway, hallway by themselves? No, there were 40 of them and they all refused to conform. And what happened is it, this community that's innate inside of them, it, it, it caused them and their rebellion against community to just create a new community. And I won't conform, but I don't have a choice. This is what I'm getting at right here. It's like, like this, this isn't optional, right? The options that you have in community is, is, is what you will do with it and how serious you will take it. 
wanna challenge you, stop talking about community and start being one. The rhetoric from within the church about the importance of community is broken when we aren't living it, when we aren't being it. And I'm telling you, like you're sitting here and you've got mountains in your life, you've got struggles in your life. The word of God keeps telling you, gather together with believers, this is an area where that begins on Sunday morning, the corporate gathering. The scripture says, confess your sins one to another, share each other's burdens. Maybe the reason that that mountain is in front of you right now is because you haven't shared it with anybody and the person you share it with could have a big old wheelbarrow and pick up that mountain and set it in it and go running down the way and toss it over a cliff for you. And you're sitting here going, oh God, why aren't you doing anything? And God's going, I'm sending 20 people by you're just in your own little space and you're not listening to me. The greatest glimpses of his wonder are seen through the lives of others. There is nothing that will fire you up in your walk with Christ. There is nothing that will fire you up like being in the life of another person and watching them experience breakthrough. So breakthrough, breakthrough is like, it's like a like a, a, a charge tied to a fuse. And it turns out that, that that charge has a fuse coming out of it that leads to a charge in your life. And sometimes by being in the community and watching it just bust up inside of them, it ignites the fuse that blows things open for you. And you will see the most beautiful views of God's character and kindness by doing life with people. See, we have to be intentional about others if we want to see breakthrough in our lives. We have to be. We cannot go, well, you know, that's all good, but it's five o'clock and work's done and I'm just going home. I, I've got 30 more episodes of The Office on Netflix to finish tonight to hit my goal. Can I tell you something about The Office? It's even funnier with other people in the room. just saying like a lot of the things that we separate ourselves to go do are even more fun when we do them in community they're even more exciting when we wait to do them with somebody else so this is critical to the health of the church the condition and the position that the church is in today in a lot of ways is a result of how we operate in community and the excuses we make as believers this is critical the church next revival in our nation, in our world, is a result of people who are believers getting out and doing life around other people. It's how it always is. That's where revival always comes from. People begin to talk about Jesus, they're reading the Word of God, and then they begin to do what the Word of God says, which is show up in somebody else's life consistently and regularly, and they begin to do that, and revival breaks out. And all of a sudden, people who have said, I don't want anything to do with God, I don't believe in God, they get a glimpse of God, and then they begin to go, I want more of that. I want what you have. But until they see it, hear it, and taste it, they just don't believe that it exists. This is also critical to the health of the individual. It is critical to your own personal health and your relationship with Christ. Six relationships that require fire. This is where I'm gonna end. 
I want you to track with me real quick. There's six areas for relationship. And I put this idea that they require fire. You have to be on fire for these six things if you want to live in breakthrough. Okay? If you want to be the person that's like Superman, right? In the comic book world, Superman is OP. Like just you can't touch him, right? So he shows up to a battle with a bunch of bad guys and they just don't stand a chance. If you want to be that type of person in the world as a believer, if you want to be OP, overpowered in the world, get on fire with the relationships that exist in these six areas. The first one is God. And these all feed on each other. But you need to believe that God is God. That God is the creator of all things. That God has the capacity to say a word 10,000 years ago that absolutely radically transforms and changes everything about your existence today. God is not in a box. God does not have limits. His capacity is infinite. I need Him. I must be connected to Him. The language in which you speak about Him has to be on fire. The second one is with your spouse. If you're not married, you're exempt from this. There's only five. But if you're married, your relationship with your spouse needs to be a fireball. Not of rage and anger, but of love, of kindness, of serving, of determination. Will there be conflict? Yes, there will be conflict. Can I tell you there will be conflict with God? There will be things that God will speak to you. And if you are going to be completely honest, you're going to have a problem with it. You can look at scripture. God said a couple of things to Moses and Moses was like, I mean, uh, to Abraham and Abraham was like, uh, but God, what if it's like this? God says, all right, okay, if it's like that. And then Abraham, no, no, I don't know. Maybe what if it's like this? So you're going to have conflict. But you have got to be in relationship with your spouse. And then from there, you've got to have a relationship with family. You don't get to write off your family members because they're lost because they don't see the politics of America the same way you do. I mean, we're talking about eternity. We're not talking about a, a vote that's, that's only feeling the burden of right now, but will just be in a history book in 30 years. You have to be the people who model what it looks like to show love in the midst of disagreement with the people that are family. Because if you can't do these first three, you're never gonna be able to do it with your friends effectively. And then you've gotta get real and you've gotta have relationships with people who are believers just because they're believers. I said this a few months ago, but we have more in common with a Syrian refugee who bows their knee to Christ than we do with somebody who lives down the street with us that denies Christ. Because we will for eternity be brothers and sisters with the people who have accepted Jesus as Lord of their lives. There should be nothing that immediately connects us to a person faster than the fact that they claim Christ as Lord of their lives. We should run to them. They're children of God. We share a father and then the world. And the world, it extends from your next door neighbor who says that they don't believe in God to the person on the other side of the planet that has a radical belief 
that is destroying them and their family will never be effective here if we can't be effective here. And we won't be effective here if we're not effective here. You get where I'm going with this? You say to yourself, I'm just no good at, at sharing the gospel with non-believers. I would argue that you're probably not good at high-fiving believers. And that you probably are very selective in the people that you're willing to do life with and call friends. And that you're closed off to the idea of being in a place that's uncomfortable just because people know Jesus. And I can tell you that the fulfillment and happiness that you're looking for comes on the other side of these things. When you begin to look at people through the eyes of Christ, Jedis and Siths. I had this conversation with Zoe this week. So Zoe is special needs. Zoe is capable of a lot. And here's the thing. People see Zoe and they want to do for him. They want to help him. So Zoe has spent 10 years of his life seeing people like you be so awesome and good to him by serving him. This week I told him to clean his room and he said, uh, I can't. And I was like, no, you pretty much can. And he said, I can't reach that. I can't do that. So I just can't. Ezra will do it. That's his little brother. This is a good brother response, right? You know, I mean, this is typical. And, uh, and he's right. He, he can't do some of the things that are up high. He doesn't have the stability for it. But it got me to thinking, like, like he gets the fact that people know how to serve him. And so I asked him, I said, Zoe, do you serve anybody? What, what do you do for people? And he sat there and thought about it, and he said, nothing. So we had this whole conversation about Jedis and Siths because he's really into Star Wars. If you're any, spending time around him, he's going to ask you, are you with the Rebellion or the Empire? Right? Not a reflection of his dad or anything. He's going to talk about these things. So I said, Zoe, I said, uh, I said, when somebody doesn't serve other people, are they a Jedi or a Sith? So if you don't know anything about Star Wars, good guys, bad guys. All right? It translates everywhere. Okay? All right? He said, well, if you don't serve people, you're a Sith, right? Because the Sith serve themselves. Bad guys are about serving themselves, getting what they can. The good guys live their lives to help other people. And I said, are you a Jedi or a Sith? He said, I'm a Jedi. And I said, well, then who do you serve? Nobody. I said, then how are you a Jedi? But I'm a Jedi, Dad. I said, you don't get to call yourself a Jedi and be a Jedi. You actually have to be a Jedi to call yourself a Jedi. So the next day we woke up and I said, Zoe, who are you going to serve today? He's like, I don't know. I said, how are you going to serve? I don't know. But are you going to serve? Yes. He went to school, came home. I said, who'd you serve today? Nobody. Why? I forgot. Okay. Do Jedi serve? Yes. Do Sith serve? No. I said, are you a Sith today? No, Dad, I am not a Sith. Okay. So the next day, what do we do? On the way to school, who are you going to serve today? I'm going to serve, Dad. I'm going to be a Jedi. So he goes to school, comes home. I said, did you serve anybody today? He said, I tried. I said, okay, tell me about that. He said, I tried to hold the door for everybody coming in from the playground, but they wouldn't let me. They told me they needed to do it for me. I said, okay, all right, good job. You made an attempt. That's the beginning. So the next day, I took him to school, grabbed his teacher. I said, hey, just real quick, we're having this conversation about Jedis and Sith. I want to bring you into the conversation. She's like, 
okay? And I said, it's really about serving. And this is what she said. No fault to her, but this is what she said. Oh, I totally agree. He needs to do more on his own. We're absolutely having him do more and more on his own. And I said, that's not what serving is. I said, that's not what we're teaching him at home. Yes, he needs to do more on his own. He needs to learn to be independent. But more than that, he needs to learn how to do things for other people. And she was like, I never thought about that. And I said, he said yesterday he tried to serve by holding the door. And she was like, oh yeah, we told him that he shouldn't do that. The others should hold the door for him. And I said, that's not a quality that we want him to learn. And so he came home that afternoon and told Ezra. And Ezra was yelling in the house that he had held the door for the kids for playground. And every kid coming in, Zoe held the door. And so this is beginning to be a part of our conversation because we've learned to parent as we go. You learn how to do life as you go. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. There's, there are some great books out there, but if, if all you're doing is reading a book, you're gonna mess everything up. You know what I'm saying? You need to be constantly evaluating and identifying, and we are teaching our kids how to serve others. How do you serve others? What does that mean? That means in order to serve somebody, you've got to be around somebody who is not you. That means you have to be in community. And it has to be more. Can I tell you how important it is to show up at Red and serve? We feed 70 to 80 families once a month. There are so many opportunities over there that honestly a lot of you miss out on. And you know what the number one reason that I get is, is, oh, I forgot. We talk about Red every Sunday, every Sunday. It's a great opportunity to serve. You're, you're in a church that is trying to create weekly ways to, to apply your faith. But can I tell you, if that's all you do, you're gonna miss it all. Because it's not about serving a stranger. It's about doing life with a stranger. You need to go deeper than that, further than that. You need to use red as a connecting point for the person that you're gonna take out to dinner next week, that you're gonna invite to your home. You're gonna show up when their kids graduate. You're gonna be life right there in their neighborhood. Your role inside of community is first to listen, share, and restore yourself. And then it's to lead, mentor, and develop others. That's what we gotta do. We've gotta step into community for restoration of ourselves, and then we've gotta stay in community to see others restored. Can I, can I beg you, don't be a person who lives with all of your garbage on the inside, never sharing it with anybody and missing all the resources and tools God has put out there for you. All the resources and tools that God has put at your disposal and yet inside of the church, we lock it up and we go, it's just me and God. I don't need people judging me and staring at me. And God's going, you need to share this with somebody. This is too heavy for you. No, they'll laugh at me. No, they won't understand. They won't think about me the same. God says, that's, then, then, they're not, then they're not my children. Because that's not what I teach my children to be like. And he says, I need you to go out there and be vulnerable. And when you learn to do that, then you learn how to be a leader inside of community. And I come back to this idea greatest glimpses of his wonder are seen through the lives of others. You'll never see a more beautiful picture of who God is than digging in and doing life with somebody and watching God wreck and change their lives. It'll be a story you will share at the dinner table with your grandchildren. That's the impact it can have. Stand to your feet as we close. Listen, as we close today, 
Our prayer ministry team will be up here at the front. We're available to pray. If you're sick in body, the word says, come to the elders. Let them lay hands and agree with you in prayer for healing. We believe in a God that is alive and well and at work today. And we believe in the healing power of God. If you don't know Jesus as Lord of your life, we want to pray with you. We'd love to talk to you about what that looks like to become a, a Christian. It's not rocket science and it's not magic. It's just about a position that takes place within your heart and a, and a realization that takes place in your mind. But more than anything, I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to leave this place and stop making excuses for why you don't do community. Stop hurting in your home alone. Take your hurt into somebody else's house and get healing. Stop doing it all by yourself and start finding people that you will do it with. And then as a group, start identifying people who are not believers that you can love into the kingdom. And be the church that the Bible calls us to be, but that social media tries to declare that we're not. I want to pray right now. Bow your heads. If you need prayer, come to the front. Otherwise, let's pray. Jesus, it is for your glory and for your name's sake that we are gathered here today. Let us not walk out of here unchanged and unchallenged, making excuses for why we're exempt from your word and the callings that it places in our lives. Let us not walk from this place today making excuses for why our situation is different. So burden our hearts to step into community with believers. That until we do so, our hearts are shaken and broken. Rebuked because we know it is a call from you. We love you and we praise you us in your mighty name. Amen.